Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Practical Parsha podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. I remember when I was studying in yeshiva, rabbinical school, every year around this time for Parshas Chayasara, which is this week, one of the rabbis of my yeshiva would give a marriage talk. Now, this talk wouldn't just be for people who were married, but rather it was actually focused for people who are not yet married, people who are looking to get married, to begin dating, to find their spouse, to find their match. And he would talk about what we should look for in a potential wife, what are the positive things in a spouse, relationships, how to have a productive relationship, a good marriage. And that has seemed to become a common custom in many yeshivos that this week's Parsha, in honor of the fact that the Torah talks about marriage, specifically the marriage of Yitzchak, Isaac, as we're going to get into, to give advice, to that people give advice about marriage, about a spouse, about relationships. And God willing, this week, I hope to also give some advice, not just on marriage, but on relationships in general, how to have the most productive relationships. Um, what is true love? And, and God willing, I hope we gain some clarity together. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or you'd like to reach out just to say hello, I love receiving feedback. Please send me an email at rabbishlomokon with a K at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Chayasara. And the word, the title of the Parsha is named Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. The wife of Avram passes away. And the commentaries explain that the reason why she passed away was because of shock. And the question is dealt with what caused Sarah to, to pass such a righteous woman. And we know that from last week's Parsha, Avram Avinu passes a major test, that God commands him to take his beloved son, Yitzchak, Isaac, and to bring him as a sacrifice. And Avram, as a loyal servant of God, takes his son and is about to slaughter him, and God says, stop, it was a test. He passes the test. And the commentaries bring down that the Satan, the Yetzirah, he tried to make a trick on Sarah, that he showed Sarah a, a vision of Yitzchak being slaughtered. And it seems like it was too much for her to bear, and she passed away. The Torah tells us, in this week's Torah portion, the story of Avram Avinu, how he buried his wife, how he mourned for her, and making sure to find a proper burial spot for her, Avram deals with Ephron the Chiti, and he buys the cave of Machpelah, the Ma'aras Machpelah, where where the matriarchs and the patriarchs are buried to this day. And there's a back and forth about the actual acquisition. And finally, Avram buys the cave of Machpelah for a tremendous amount of money. After burying Sarah, the Torah continues with his next priority which is to marry off Yitzchak, to marry off his son Isaac. And Abraham Avram tells his loyal servant Eliezer 
to find a wife for his son Yitzchak, not from the daughters of the land of Canaan, but to rather to go to his homeland, to Avram Avinu's homeland, to the land of Haran, and to take someone from his family. Avram makes his servant swear to him that he will follow his command, and he goes to find a wife for Yitzchak. Eliezer, as he goes on his mission, he asks God to send him a sign that the right girl will be found. And he says that the girl whom I ask for water a little bit, she will just reply that I'll not just give for you water, but I'll even give all your camels water as well. And Eliezer comes to this well in Haran, and the sign that he makes with God exactly happens. Rivka comes, and he asks her for a little bit of water, and she says, I won't just give you water, but rather I'll give you and your camels water. And the sign is fulfilled. And she invites him to come to her family, to stay there, to lodge. Eliezer introduces himself as the loyal servant of, of Ramavinu to the to the family of Rivka. And again, a, the story is told of the sign and how Avram has sent him on a mission to find a wife for Yitzchak. They agree to send back Rivka with Eliezer. She marries Yitzchak. And the Torah finishes with the death of Avram Avinu, the death of Abraham. The first idea which I wanted to share for this week's episode is a very beautiful thought. We know that Avram Avinu, that Abraham, had 10 tests. There are different opinions among the commentaries as to exactly what the tests were in Avram Avinu's life. But one thing is agreed on, is that each successive test was harder than the last. That the first test was one level, and the second test was a little harder, and so on and so forth, till it culminated with the tenth and final test, which was the hardest out of all the tests. Now, according to the mo- many authorities, the final test was the test of the binding of Isaac, the Akedas Yitzchak, the test to go, God challenging Avram Avinu to take his beloved son and to slaughter him. But there's another opinion that says that the final test of Avram Avinu, the final test of Abraham, wasn't the binding of Isaac, wasn't the Akedah, but rather it was the death of Sarah and the whole episode that ensued. The question that I have for you, how could it be that the test of Sarah's death was harder than the test of the Akedah? We know, like I mentioned before, that each test was harder than the last. And now, according to this opinion, Sarah's death was the the final challenge that Avram had to face. That means it was harder to pass than the binding of Isaac, the Akedas Yitzchak. How could that be? A person has to take their child to slaughter them, and and obviously he doesn't, it's only a test. Then then the passing of, of Sarah, you know, people, obviously when people pass away, it's challenging, it's hard. How could that be more difficult than the binding of of Yitzchak, of Isaac? There's a beautiful thought which I believe answers this question and gives us a very important insight into our attitude when it comes to mitzvos. We know that when we do a mitzvah, we get a reward. When we do an avera, when we commit a sin, there's also a corresponding punishment. Now, 
it's important to know that when it comes to reward and punishment, it's not like our bank accounts. You know, when we take out money from our bank account, we have to make sure there's, a, there's, a, there's enough in the account to make that withdrawal. And if we put more money back in, so then we have more money in the account. So therefore, we can make bigger charges, meaning one thing sort of counterbalances the other. We have to be careful that the, the, the withdrawals are less than the deposits because they cancel each other out. If a person, person just takes withdrawals and doesn't make any deposits, he'll have no money in his account. So when it comes to balancing our budget or paying the bills every month, you know, God willing, we, we hope that we have enough money to cover our expenses. That means having more deposits than withdrawals. We want to have that there's a surplus of money at the end of the month so we're able to cover all, ex- all our expenses. So when it comes to mitzvos and averos, to sins and uh, doing good commandments, doing mitzvos, it doesn't work like that. When we do a mitzvah, the mitzvah doesn't cancel out an avera that we might have previously done. And on the flip side as well, if we do if we make a mistake, if we commit a sin, that doesn't cancel out the reward we've gained from the mitzvah that we've done in the past. And this really brings to a side point, which pushes away this idea that Judaism is not all or nothing religion. And maybe a different time, we'll focus in on it a little bit more. In Judaism, it's not all or nothing. Every act is independent of another. That if we do a mitzvah, God willing, we're going to get rewarded for that. When we do an Avera, there will be a, a, a reckoning for that. Now, there is one big condition that goes with this statement. There is one way, though, that a person can lose his reward and also get rid of any punishment that we might have. And the Talmud in Kedushin brings down a brisa, which is an unwritten Mishnah, which quotes a verse from Yecheskel from the book of Ezekiel. And the Gemara says, Reb Shimon Bar Yochai says, Even if one was an absolutely righteous man all his days, but he rebelled against God at the last moment of his life, he has lost his earlier good deeds and is judged a wicked person. For it says, The uprightness of the righteous man will not save him on the day of his iniquity. And even if one was an absolutely wicked man all his days, but he repented at the last moment of his life, God does not remind him of his wickedness any longer. For it says, And the wickedness of the wicked man, he shall not stumble over it on the day he repents his wickedness. And the Gemara explains there that obviously when it refers to a wicked man, being judged as good, it's referring to someone who did teshuva, who returned. He had regret on the past deeds that he had done. And now, since he did a true teshuva, he did a complete um, returning to Hashem, he had regret on the past, he's forgiven. And the punishment, which was destined for him, is wiped away. Now, on the flip side of this, we said that a good person someone who lived his life as a righteous individual, can lose everything at the last moment. And the Gemara questions, how is that possible? How is it, you know, even imaginable that someone lives his whole life in a good way, does what he's supposed to do, and he lives according to the Torah, 
can lose it all in a moment. And the Gemara is bothered by this question. And the, the, the Talmud in Kedushin says that Reish Lakish said, the Brisa speaks of one who regrets the previous meritorious deeds he performed. That if someone lived his life properly, he did what he's supposed to do. And for some reason, at the end of his life, he regrets certain good deeds that he had done. Or all the good deeds that he'd done, for some reason, he loses all the credit, all the schar, all the reward that had accrued to him throughout his life. It's very powerful. That the Gemara is telling us something very profound. That just like someone who does teshuva, who does a complete repentance, the, the punishment, the punishment that was destined for him is wiped away. So too, someone who lived their life according to the Torah and did what they're supposed to do, but for some reason, they regretted doing the good that they had done, they lose the reward that was destined for them. And this idea, I believe, gives us an answer to our question and a very deep insight into our attitude when it comes to doing good things and making decisions in general. That Avram Avinu, he didn't just have the test of the Akeda, he had the test of Sarah passing away as well. Because the Yitzhara, the evil inclination, tried to stop Avram, tried to prevent him from doing, from passing the test of the Akedah. But he failed. So he thought to himself, I failed in preventing him from doing the will of God. Let me at least see if I could get him to regret it. Let me see if I could have it that he will have harata, to feel bad that he did it to second-guess himself about the good thing he had done, that he had done the will of Hashem. And that's why Sarah passed away. And that's why, according to this opinion, it was a harder test for Avram Avinu, for Abraham, than even the test of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Because you could just imagine the outlook a person would have. How would we feel? We just passed the test. God had told us this extremely hard challenge slaughter his son which was against his grain he had taught against this for his whole life and now he should go do it and he he passed the test he did it and now he you could just imagine passing a test you know you're on a high you're on a high you feel close to hashem you should come back you should think god you know a person's natural reaction would be is that hashem is going to reward me for what i have done and what does he get? Sarah passes away. But he doesn't regret it. He still has the same attitude. He still has the same desire to do what Hashem wants. No looking back, only going forward. And many times for ourselves, when we do something good, sometimes you know, it comes with a price tag. Maybe it comes at the expense of money or the expense of aggravation. We should never have regret for the good things that we do in our lives. Because, God forbid, we could lose our reward for it. But even besides for that, we have to know, we have to have the conviction that what we're doing is right. And even if it doesn't come out, the reaction, the way we expected it to be, we have to never look back on that. We have to always look forward and to appreciate the act that we, we do and the accomplishments we fulfill. And I think sometimes when you focus on the actual challenge 
and not on sometimes the negative outcomes which are perceived negative to us. We savor the flavor. We enjoy that test. It's extra special for us, the challenge that we just overcame. And, and it's not just with our mitzvot that we do, but life decisions in general, when it comes to different decisions we make and we make the decision properly, we speak to people, we think about it, we do our due diligence. So then once we make the decision, we can't go back. You can't go back because number one is you can't change the past. You could only affect the future. And number two is, is if we did what we're supposed to be doing, we went through the, the proper channels and we didn't do anything rash, then it was the right decision and there's no looking back. Now turning to the second thought I wanted to share with everyone today, which is more about relationships, is this idea that I mentioned before about marriage. We know that in the Torah, there is many times where the patriarchs and the matriarchs and different figures in the Torah have met by a well, right? The first one here, Eliezer meets the future prospective wife of Yitzchak at a well. Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, meets Rachel by a well. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, meets his wife by a well. What's the significance of meeting by a well? Why does this keep happening? You know, there's nothing extra in the Torah. There's nothing that's coincidence. Why does this keep happening? That our, the, the great, our ancestors keep meeting by a well. Now, some might answer that the reason why people met by a well is because that's where the people were found. There's water there. That's the life source. And that's where people met by the well. Maybe that could be one answer, but there's another beautiful answer which I saw, which really helps understand the true nature of marriage and really relationships in general. You know, if you think about a well for a minute, what does a well do? So a well is you take a bucket or, and you draw the water out, which is under the earth, and you bring it up into this world, right? Something that was hidden. It was not seen to the naked eye, and now you took it, you, you, the, you, you acted, you were able to take this water and bring it up, to bring it out. And if you really think about marriage, what is marriage all about? You know, sure, it's about, you know, there's children, it's very important, the next generation, and there's, there's a companionship, and there's friendship, but what's the most important factor about marriage? What is the, the biggest benefit of marriage? What is our goal when it comes to our spouse? Or not better than that, what is our goal when it comes to marriage? And sure, everything is important that I mentioned before, the friendship, the companionship, the love. But if you really think about it, the most important part of marriage and the biggest goal of marriage is to bring out the best in your spouse. You know, we say that the husband and wife come together, they're supposed to come as one. Spouses, when someone meets their destined, their bashert, the one who is destined for them, their soul is being reunited with something that they were connected with originally. And the idea is, is that just like a well brings out something that was covered, that was not there, that would have never been known, 
So too when it comes to marriage, the, our job as a spouse is to bring out the best in our significant other. To bring out potential from the other that would have never been brought out if not for the other spouse. And that is the message that the Torah is teaching us that when it comes to marriage, sure, all these things are important, but the biggest benefit of marriage is the fact that it's going to bring out the best in each other. And that should be our goal. And you know what? It's not just marriage that we should have this attitude. When it comes to any relationship that's meaningful to us, our goal should be to bring out the best in another. When we have an, a friend, a sibling, someone who looks up to us, bring out the best in people. Because when we bring out the best in others, it brings out the best in us as well. And I believe that's one nugget when it comes to relationships that I wanted to share with you for this week. Now, one last idea for this week that I wanted to say over and also has to do with love is this idea of true love. You know, we all are very familiar with the picture that Hollywood paints of love. You know, we think of love at first sight, falling head over heels, living happily ever after. These are all terms and pictures. When we say these words, I'm sure it conjures up images in our mind of what is love? What is true love? But if you look around, we'll see that this picture is really not so true, right? If you look around in society, unfortunately, you know, the divorce rate is close to 50%. And if you even look at Hollywood itself, the, the marriages of Hollywood are even worse. It's, it's even worse than the rest of society. So really the question is, what is true love and how do we get it? So in this week's Parsha, we see an insight in the Psukim, in the verses, that can help us understand a little bit the idea and the difference between true love and fake love. Now the Torah says, when it describes the marriage of Rivka to Yitzchak, it says, es Rivka, leisha veha. He, who's referring to Isaac, he married Rivka, Rebecca. She became his wife and he loved her. You know, many times we think of these terms which I mentioned before, that there's such a thing as love at first sight. You know, sure, people feel attracted to each other and they click with each other sometimes right away. But true love is only happens after someone has that relationship. So when, it's, when the Torah describes... Yitzchak's love for Rivka. It says first he married her and then he loved her. You know, many times we said that people have, they fall head over heels or they're love at first sight. But that's not true love. That's self-love because the love that they have for the other person is what they're doing for themselves. True love is when we love somebody because of what we do for them, not what they do for us. That's something that only comes after years of work. And God willing, it doesn't take years, but it's a progress of doing for another and building a relationship with our spouses to build on that spark that was there in the beginning, that is there, and to take it and to nurture it till it becomes a flame, a very strong flame. But it's not the other way around. 
that a person just falls in love and is just swooned away and life is happily ever after. That true love takes effort, takes work, and is developed over years. And this is just something we should keep in mind when it comes to our own relationships, that it's something we need to put effort into. And unfortunately, I think society sees the view of Hollywood and fails to recognize that love is possible, but it takes work, it takes effort, and it's something we need to be consistent about and to keep our eye on the ball. So with that, I'm going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlamacone with a K at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.